Welcome to the Rock Podcast. Here in Chapter 3 of 1 Timothy, we've been studying the qualifications for church leadership. Last week, we looked at the office of the pastor, and this week, it's the deacon's turn. And as we'll hear, all Christians are deacons in the general sense of the word. Here now is Pastor Ross with a message entitled, Serving Well. All right, good morning. Let's dive in. A lot to talk about. Exciting stuff here in 1 Timothy chapter 3. We left off midway with the qualifications for what is called the deacons. And you're going to be learning all about that this morning, but not before we ask the Lord's blessing in prayer. So let's do that together. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for being here with us and your Holy Spirit helping us to understand the word of life. Just the words of life, truth, and blessing. Help us be renewed and helped and instructed and corrected by your God-breathed word. In Jesus' name, amen. How many of you have ever worked as a waiter or a waitress? Let me see. Yeah, it's a real common job, especially when we get started, huh? And it's a... It's a pretty good career. I came across a blog of a food server that uh, kind of captured the whole idea of what it means to serve tables. Waiting tables sounds like such an easy task. You, I'm reading. Yeah, yeah. Don't worry. <laughs> you take some orders, deliver the plates of food, and the customers pay, right? Um, not so fast. So I'm reading from his blog. Uh, There's a lot to serving as a waiter or waitress if you're going to do it well. Uh, Some don't realize that waiting tables is one of the most demanding, nerve-wracking, and underappreciated occupations that you can have. First, you had better be a multitasker if you're going to serve because there's a lot to be thinking about. Memorizing the menus, this content's always changing, Constantly running around on your feet. You're the middleman who's trying to make everybody happy. Dealing gracefully with difficult people and fussy attitudes. Starting your shift can be like walking into a whirlwind sometimes. You're on the move the whole time. No sitting down or leaning against anything or you're going to hear a lecture. If you're leaning, you need to be cleaning. (laughs) Last little paragraph. Last night, a customer told me that they didn't like the meal and they wanted it off the bill, and I looked down and see that they cleaned their plate. I thought to myself, you know, there are other jobs I can do. (laughs) Yes, I took the fish off their bill with a smile, and no, they didn't tip me. But then the next table is delightful and appreciative and very generous So things balance out. So if you're a people person, have boundless energy, self-control, and patience, like to stay busy, and if it makes you feel good to help others enjoy 
a dining experience, then waiting tables might be a good choice for you. Now, interesting to me that the word in the Bible for minister comes from the word that originally means to wait tables, to be a waiter or a waitress. In fact, it's the word to describe anyone who serves the Lord. Now, and that's who we are. That's all of us, our servants, all right? And that's what we do. Our lives are all about serving others as, as Jesus did and as he taught us. So in the broad sense, all Christians are called to be servants, to minister. It's the same word. Uh, but recently, we've been talking about the actual church office, the position of the minister Um, as they are called in the Bible. The pastor and the two other words used for pastor interchangeably was elder and overseer. We saw that last week. Now, uh, the reason it came up in the scriptures, Paul writing to Timothy in this first letter to him, the church in Ephesus, as you'll recall, needed uh, to clean house. Some of the leaders had gone sideways. They wandered away from the gospel Paul described it this way. They were men robbed of the truth, and they were yet the leaders in the church. So they were asked to leave. They were stepped down, and new leaders had to be appointed. So Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, now writes to Timothy, who's in charge of overseeing that task. Here's the kind of men you're looking for, Timothy. And he gave, last week, 15 qualities and qualifications for men who are called to pastor God's people. But Paul wasn't finished. Pastors weren't the only ones who held an official title or position in the early church. Within the church, the Bible recognizes two official positions for church leaders. One, we covered, pastor, who oversees spiritual concerns. And now, what we're going to look at this morning is called the deacon, the ones who oversee the practical matters of the fellowship. So, very straightforward, having finished describing the men who serve and are qualified to lead as pastors, now Paul describes the kind of men who come alongside them in an official, ordained way to hold the office of what is called the deacon to help the pastors with the work of the gospel. Verse 8. Deacons, likewise, just like with the pastors, are to be men worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine, and not pursuing dishonest gain. They must hold, they must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. They must first be tested, and then if there is nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. In the same way, their wives are to be women worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. A deacon must be the husband of but one wife and must manage his children and household well. Those who have served well gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus. And so that's plenty to think about, reflect upon for this morning's uh, Bible study. And, you know, the great thing about this is, of course, is that any qualities that are required for a spiritual leader are good for any 
Christian, right? So as Paul said, and I called this to your attention last time, wait, Paul was always saying, imitate me. The things you've seen and heard from me, follow me as I follow Christ. And so whatever's required of, for somebody who's going to be an extension of ministry and work in the church, God is saying, this is what a spiritually mature person looks like. And who doesn't need to be a spiritually mature person if you are a Christian, amen? So if you're not a deacon or, and you're not a man, you're, you're still in the plan, all right? So, uh, and these words should describe your life if you profess Christ. These qualities must be in you as well. The, the thing about this passage is, is that if you expect to lead or be involved in the church in any way, you have to have them. Do you see? So everybody is looking and saying, this is the goal for every Christian person. And so fitting for Father's Day. Because if you're going to be a good deacon, you're going to be a good father. So fathers are listening, right? So nothing too compli- complicated. You know, it's just really straight. Nine qualities are given, and six of the nine are very similar to the qualities given uh, for the pastor, or what is called the overseer. Now, it's just interesting uh, that two very different positions, if you think about what they do, right? But they have similar lists of requirement, and that is because, uh, though very different positions, They require the same kind of person, which is a mature Christian whose behavior is above reproach. Do you get that? Okay, these are two two offices in the church. They do extremely different things. But it's so funny because they are required to be the same kind of men, right, in this uh, particular situation. And so you have it right away. So the word... Deacon, and in the Greek, there it is, transliterated very easily. That's what it looks like in Greek, and so transliterating that over to English, you get deacon. It's used a hundred times in the New Testament. It's a very rich word, and this was the word for to be a waiter. So originally, it's just straight up the word to wait tables, right, with no sacred sense of it at all. It becomes adopted into Christianity as the word God is going to use for a wide variety and very rich, uh, broad, diverse uh, meanings and connotations of that word. And since it's so important, uh, we understand the uh, the way it's uh, the variety of its meanings. And so, uh, it kind of all started with waiting on tables. You'll remember back in the glory days of when the church was born, Pentecost, the 12 were pastoring. And uh, what happened there was there was explosive church growth there in Jerusalem. Uh, the, the pastors were busy preaching and praying and teaching and baptizing, right? And then they also had ministries like feeding the widows. They had benevolence ministries. And there were complications. They were setting up the tables. And uh, some of the ladies were, were, were not happy with how they were being served. And so the pastors were getting involved there and distracted 
They couldn't prepare their sermons and they couldn't, they, they were distracted from their duties. And so here's what I have it for you. Acts chapter uh, six it tells you the prototype of the deacon. So the 12 gathered all the disciples together and said, it wouldn't be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to deacon. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. Notice, same qualities as a pastor for helping in the kitchen, feeding the widows. We will turn this responsibility over to them and then we can give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased them, the whole group. They chose Stephen. Look at that, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. And there are the seven uh, And they presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid hands on them. And now there's an official, distinct office. It's early. They're not called deacons there. But certainly, if you can use the word prototype, uh, that's who they are. And so the term then became uh, used in a general sense of serving anything, menial tasks. Like when Martha's serving the Lord, she's deaconing. All right, so that word just became the, the Christian way of, of explaining what Christians do. You know, moving tables and setting up and all of that. Now, it all begins, of course, with Jesus being called a deacon. Jesus is the deacon, all caps, right? He is the servant. Check this out, Mark 10, 43 through 45. Whoever wants to become great among you must be your deacon. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man, which is a messianic title, which means Son of God, Messiah, even the Son of Man did not come to be deaconed, but to deacon and to give his life a ransom for many. So it all starts with him. He's called the suffering servant in Isaiah 53. It's a key passage of why the Messiah would be called the suffering servant. It's because he comes to bear and serve you and serve the Father by being the one who gets dumped on all the sins of the entire world laid upon him and he serves us by saying, give me your sins and I'll give you my righteousness. And that is why he is the deacon. And then, you know, according to the verse, he requires the deacon, requires all his followers to be lowercase deacons after him. In fact, from God's point of view, he says, you want to know who's the greatest person in the whole world? The deacon, the one who's serving. You see? So, yeah, it's an office, it becomes a, a, a narrower sense of an, of an actual ordained, bring the guys up here, these are the deacons. If they qualify with these nine qualities, you can ordain them, and they are official deacons. But in a sense, of course, you're all deacons. We're all deacons. Jesus is a deacon. Paul described himself as a deacon. Not as an official deacon, he was a, an apostle. So the word gets used in different ways. The formal deacon is what we're talking about, where they are recognized within a congregation as that's their gift, that's their calling. They qualify, bring them on up, lay hands on them, and these are the go-to guys, you know. Now, just because you're not one of them doesn't mean you're not serving or deaconing in the church. A lot of people deacon in the church without the title. 
but you, a church needs to have a set of men who are, are committed on paper. There, These are their phone numbers. This is how you get a hold of them because we have to set up here tomorrow and you can't just, just rely on anybody. You have to have uh, a specific office there. And that's why there is a specific office even though where would the church be without many, many, many deacons serving, doing deacon work. Does that make sense? Hello, early bird service. Oh, it's always just a shock. I just, you know, I just think of it as a conversation between me and you. <laughs> and I just think that, yeah. So an occasional amen is okay. All right? Amen? amen. That's getting better. <laughs> All right. Awesome. I think you get what's going on. So, so let me show you where this word now becomes narrow in the focus there. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 1 and 2. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints, and saints just means separated ones, just the average Christian in the Bible is just called a saint. And it just comes from the word holy. It just means that you're dedicated away from sin and to God and away from the world. That's all it is. To all the Christians in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers, another word for pastors, and deacons. Two groups in the church of leaders. You don't find any other names, but you do find two titles, pastor and deacon. And those are, uh, they work together in the work of the gospel. So it's important now to see how they work together. And so... Uh, let's take a closer look and see how the two lists, I think this is interesting, how are they different? Because they're very similar. But how are they different? It'll tell you a lot about the deacon. So number one, the deacon doesn't need to be a teacher. Okay, thank you for that. Thank you. Uh, the teacher doesn't need, the deacon doesn't necessarily need to be a Bible teacher, though he can but the, but the qualification of the pastor earlier in the verses says he, this guy has got to be a teacher. He's got to have the teaching gift because that's his job. He's an overseer. He's a spiritual leader. He has to be able to open the Bible, explain the text, and apply it. That's, that's his job. The deacons, not so much. Now, Stephen and Philip were great teachers. If they want to teach and they can teach, they can teach, right? But they don't have to because they're mostly, their work gives it, the word gives it away. Overseer, pastor, spiritual oversight, right? Leading, deacon, helping, serving. Do you see? The title just tells you. The guy doesn't necessarily, or gal, doesn't necessarily need to be a teacher. Now, Romans chapter 12 and verse 7 says there is actually a teaching gift, and that's what he's talking about. Now, God gives everybody a gift. There's a list of the gifts everywhere, uh, in several places in the Bible. Now, just because you may not have the gift of giving doesn't mean that all Christians uh, shouldn't give. These gifts, such as giving, serving, teaching, showing mercy is called a gift. All of the gifts 
really, we are called to, all of us, emulate. But some are given specific, special gifting and enablement that that is your calling. That is who you are. You, you see that? And so they didn't need the teaching gift. That was given to the pastors, right? And so uh, it's it just a, a wonderful combination. So uh, also, well, well, they're, they're setting up chairs. They're tearing down after assemblies. They're moving things. They're running errands. They're buying. They're preparing. They're cleaning. They take the trash out. They're, they're fixing things. They're hanging things. They're repairing things. Uh, they're helping. They're lending a hand so that the pastors can oversee in the spiritual insights. They're not less spiritual, as you're going to find out. They just have a calling. They just have a calling. It takes a massive amount of serving behind the scenes for church services, evangelism, outreaches, missionary endeavors for actually any gospel-centered uh, event to happen. For the few faces that you see out front, there's a hundred working in less visible ways, but in no less valuable ones. These are those who are deaconing. Come on, the ushers the support staff, the hospitality crew, the audio and visual, the janitorial. Just tell me how you, much you would love to come in here and have the chairs all messed up and garbage around, no air on, no, you know, the toilets not in uh, workable condition. Sorry, I'm trying to choose my words uh, nicely. You know, that's pretty important. That's pretty important. And so... Uh, these are, that's where their focus is. And so uh, I like verse 11. It's interesting and in how it's different from the pastors. Now, unlike the pastors, the deacons' wives must be evaluated. Wow. What's up with that? Well, I'm glad you said that because I'm going to answer it. All right. It, it apparently, when it comes to practical serving in the early church, the deacons' wives were more involved than the pastors' wives. Now, many of the deacons' wives would quite naturally want to serve alongside their husbands who were serving. Well, because there were no restrictions for serving as a woman. So her husband's serving, she wants to serve. So the Bible says that's awesome. As long as if you want to serve, as long as you meet the qualifications and requirements that everybody has to meet. And so those qualifications are giving, are given there. The wife of the pastor, why isn't it mentioned for the pastor's wives? It's a good question. The pastor's wives have less incentive to be wanting to work alongside their husbands because their jobs were pastoring, teaching, and preaching. You see? So there's no doubt that the pastor's wife was involved in the church. And if she wanted to serve, this would be her requirement as well. But they weren't the ones banging on the doors saying, we want to work alongside our husbands because their husbands, uh, their ministry in the early church was more toward their husband and their home. It's just a new concept in the last hundreds of years for the pastor's wife to be considered a twofer deal that you get the pastor and 
the pastor's wife is supposed to work as hard, if not harder, than the, the husband. Yeah, for free. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'll tell you what. Pastor's wives are thrilled to do that, and they're very gifted. My wife is a deaconess, if ever there was one. She has the gift of serving, all right? And, and, there, are, and there are dozens of ladies with that gifting here and to whom we owe much. Uh, and they do it. They do it in love. But I'll tell you what, it, it, it wasn't always that way. And so... It's a blessing when the husband and wife complement each other with their gifts and abilities. And most couples in the ministry actually do. But a lot of pastors' wives, you know what? They may suffer a little bit of gossip for, for not being so involved. And they get slammed. They get slammed. But nowhere in the Bible says that she has to be playing the piano, leading the choir, leading women's ministry, and, and decorating the church. There's, there's no biblical call for that. In fact, it was the deacon's wives who were doing that. You see? All right, it's just good to think about these things, isn't it? When else are you going to think about them, right? <laughs> we don't skip passages in Calvary Chapel. We just go straight through and talk about it. It's so edifying. It's like, oh, I'm so glad to hear this kind of detail. This is how the church is run. This is the philosophy of ministry at the church that you attend and worship. These things are important, amen? So if she's going to join him in the work, she needs to be, and we've got these here, uh, respectable, not slanderers, um, temperate and trustworthy, uh, just like the guys. Except not slanderers is an addition, and it means quite literally, the word in the Greek says that they be not devils. The word for devil means to slander or to maliciously talk bad about someone, to lie about somebody, all right? So uh, I think we could all agree that would be a good thing not to be devils. Amen? <laughs> Male, female, whatever. And you know, nothing helps me more to not talk smack about people than realizing that when I do, I'm a devil. Ew, right? <laughs> Anybody want that label? I'm, yeah, yeah, no. So just be careful. It's so easy. Suddenly you're talking, then for whatever reason, we find ourselves inferior or we, we're jealous or envious or just in a bad mood or didn't get enough sleep or we're hungry or whatever other excuse we'd like to make for not having character. Uh, <laughs> I think I better move on. All right, so the ladies are welcome to do the work of a deacon. And well, Phoebe, Phoebe is mentioned, Romans 16, 1. There were girl, women who were deacons. And so any woman, married to one or not, who wanted to be a deacon could be if she met the requirements. And that's how we interpret the passage. And women are welcome to serve as official deacons. They already do it unrecognized. So I, I don't have a problem recognizing them. Amen? Amen? Okay, quickly then. Uh, the man who sets up chairs and, and all of that should have the following character. One, worthy of respect. 
Now, the uh, worthy of respect is a combination of two words. Vines puts it this way. Gravity and dignity together. Uh, uh, commentator, Anglican scholar, Mool put it this way. Seriousness of purpose and self-respect in conduct. You know when Paul says, whatever things are honorable, uh, there's the word. Think on these things. So to live a kind of, you know what I have written down here? Not a flake. All right? That's what it means. Number two, sincere. Interesting word. Quite literally means not double-tongued. Not speaking out of both sides of your mouth. Which means that you're one way with some people and you say about the same thing, you say something differently to another set of people. In other words, you speak one way at work and you speak another way at home, right? No double tongue. It's no surprise to me that what comes out of a serpent's mouth is a tongue that points in two different directions, all right? So uh, another reason not to do things like that. You know the word integrity. That's what it's talking about. Because it's not a problem here to say, oh, I've got to work on this. No, 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 no. The tongue is innocent. The tongue is just fed. It's not thinking anything. It doesn't have a mind. It's just doing what you're programming it to do. So where's the problem? The problem is in the heart. From the overflow of the heart, the lips speak. And so if you want to fix this problem, then you have to fix this. The word integrity, it means whole. It means you are genuinely from top to bottom, however you're sliced in whatever situation, high, low, rich, poor, you know, tough time, good time, on vacation, in church, at work, you're just wholly the same. Slice them any way, on any day, in any portion, and you find the same thing. That's the idea there. Integrity comes from the word, uh, a Latin word that means whole, like integer is a whole number, if I remember my math properly. Number three, not indulging in much wine, just like the pastor's requirement. And, And really, alcohol works to inhibit you from the very sensibilities that are required of a Christian leader. And again, it's not a call to abstain from wine completely, though I think I could build a case for that. But I don't, I don't, a case for discouraging a Christian leader from drinking wine. Now, it does only say, let it not be in excess, right? So maybe you're asking, you know, what is a lot? Define a lot. Well, more than a little. <laughs> and if you ask again, you have a problem. Okay, let me say this. If you ask again, you may have a problem. Is that better? Less emails tomorrow. <laughs> pastor Ross. <laughs> All, right. All right. So as with the pastor also not pursuing dishonest gain, it just means he's not drunk on wine and he's not drunk on money. He's not. Be, oh, why? Deacons collect the money. 
They go back there. They carry the offering over to the office. The deacons count. Deacons count. Deacons have to go out and help people in benevolent ways. Hey, can you fill their car up with gas? Here's the card. That happens. People come in. They need help. Deacons work closely with the pastors and they have access. They've got to be trustworthy. That's what the Bible's saying. Next. Very intriguing verse here. They keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. Love this verse. It's not just about having a strong back and boundless energy. Put them to work. It matters what the deacon, the helper, believes doctrinally. In other words, the hands that carry the tables and chairs for Christ should find their strength from a heart that carries the truth. All right? That it just matters what you believe, even if you're just setting up chairs. One writer put it this way. If you don't believe Jesus is God and the only way to get to heaven, and if you don't believe that everyone who rejects Jesus perishes eternally, you're not fit to put your hand to the work of the gospel since you aren't holding fast to its truths. You should not be helping physically and practically with a cause uh, whose truth you don't personally uphold. And there have been many times when, when throughout ministries where people have to step down. It's what, I just make the coffee. Uh, look what you posted on, on a social media site. You know, they don't immediately get asked to step down. But what I'm trying to make this point is that when you represent Christ, period, when you're an extension of a church ministry, you're an extension of the pastors, you're an extension of the Bible, you're an extension of the gospel, the Lord says, if you're going to be helping in any way, you have to morally be right on as a moral representative and doctrinally as well. You can't be uh, thinking all kinds of things and, and working for the church. You have to... He says, you've got to have those deep truths hold with a clear, the word conviction. That, that, that you believe this fully with all of your heart. None of this stuff. Well, what do you think about marriage? Well, you know, I don't know what I think about that. You should not be serving. Get that cleared up. Get in line with the truth of the gospel with a clear conviction. And then you can move chairs for Jesus. Amen? All right. I'm just a weatherman, folks. Okay, it's a private joke. You had to be here like three Sundays ago to get that. All right. Deacons must undergo a period of testing. Now, that's interesting, and it's similar to the pastor who should not be a convert because there needs to be time to see this guy. Highs and lows. Good times, bad times. I like what one writer said. The observation that the sins of some people are not immediately apparent serves as a caution against cutting the time of examination too short. World, um, word biblical commentary, uh, William Mounts wrote that. 
That's how Calvary Chapel does things. Probationary periods for everybody. If you work for the church, if you're a pastor, if you're a deacon, if you're serving in any way, it's always under the caveat of, okay, let's try this out and let the Lord confirm it in your heart and in the church's heart and in the leader's hearts. Everybody is, is uh, brought in with condition that God confirm and test. The word there to test, interesting. It means to poke or to prod to prove that it's real. And, and people need that. People need to be that. I love First Timothy. Um, I believe it's... Uh, I, I love where Tim, Paul writes to Timothy and says, do not be hasty in the laying on of hands and do not share in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. There's a constant recurring... Uh, theme there. I have that scripture for you. Uh, there's a constant refer, recurring theme of not rushing to judgment, not rushing to recognize the ministry of others publicly. And here's what Paul is saying there. He's saying, keep yourself from their sins. Why? Because I bring up uh, John. Sorry, all you Johns. I bring up John, lay hands on him. This is now a deacon, right? And we didn't really see him, see him working for a while. We don't know him. He says all the right words. He looks good on the outside. And then suddenly something terrible is found out. And he does something terrible. And we would have known that that's the kind of person he is had you give him a little bit of time to manifest that character quality, right? And so what does Paul say to Timothy? Now you've joined his sins to you and the church. So he says, don't lay your hands and ordain somebody who you don't really know and hasn't been tested because you share that. You've, you've joined that and you've joined that mess now to you, your name, the rock, the church. Just wait. Just wait. Recognize them. Don't appoint them. Recognize that this is the question we ask when we want to look for a deacon. We say, not who should be a deacon. We say, who are the deacons? Let's look around. Who are they? They're here. Let's find them. That's way smarter and saying, hey, who do you know? No, 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 no. Who's doing it? Who has the gift? They're right here. Let's find them, recognize them, bring them into more uh, committed relationship with us and just watch them. And then I love what it says. Literally, it says having nothing against them. Back to that verse. If there's nothing against them, it means not being called in. So if they serve and they're not called in, you know, like to the principal's office, then go ahead and appoint them. All right. Uh, Manages the household well. Now, he must be married to one woman. That just means he's monogamous. He's not a philanderer and he's not a polygamist, which was big in the Roman Empire. It does not say he can only have been married one time. That's a different construction. It just says, at the moment, he's got one wife and he's faithful to her. That's the other thing. It implies faithfulness and sexual morality and self-control. He's not a flirt. He's not a womanizer, right? Just like the pastor must be. 
And then is he a good Christian father as far as it depends on him? Now, his wife may not be saved. He can still serve. I mean, Paul said, Paul said, if you find yourself becoming saved husband and the wife is not, he says, it's my personal opinion, you should stay married and win her to the Lord, vice versa, right? So it's not, if the wife isn't saved and the teenage kids rebel, he can still be a good father because teenage kids have free will. Now, is it in spite of him being a good father and husband that there are problems at home? Or is it because of his lack of being a good husband that's the cause of the wife and the kids having a problem? Those are the questions to ask. You can't just look and just say, oh, yeah, you've got to sit down and ask, is the guy a good husband? Is he a good father? And are people exercising their own free will? Amen? You know, nothing wrong with a little common sense here and there. Amen? And then lastly, he says, uh, those who serve well gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith. And this is the closing line. He closes with some uh, inspiration because serving in this way, character development, is a lot of hard work. I don't know if you've noticed that or not. Um, But dying to self, I mean, seriously, folks, does anybody wake up and do what they want to do? You wake up in the morning and you do what you ought to do, not necessarily what you want to do. Does anybody spring out of bed and say, I can't wait to make the bed? No, I really don't think so. Uh, does anybody say, hey, I just can't wait to do all of these chores and, and prepare and all the things that go into a day? It's work to be a quality human being. It's a lot of work. I like to make the bed. First thing I do every morning is make the bed. Why? Because I hate it. I despise it. All right? So I just like to start the day, and I stole this from another speaker, by the way, just so it didn't come to me in its original idea. But he said that at a men's retreat. So I went home, and I started making the bed, and now it's my habit, right? Get out of bed. Barb's already down and already serving the household in the morning. But when I get out, I make the bed just to tell myself, this is your life. Get used to doing what you don't want to do today because you're going to do it all day long. All right. Can I be a little honest? All right. Come on. All right. So he says, so he puts up the, the encouragement should be up there. Those who serve well gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith. Two rewards for serving well. All right. Number one. A good name is more desirable than great riches to be esteemed as better than silver or gold. He's saying you're going to have a good reputation, an excellent standing with those who know you. Now, one commentator said this about having a good reputation because you're constantly a person who's intentionally developing Christian character. Without a good reputation, what do you really have? If no one can trust you, 
Every word you say is suspect. You're the poster child for living foolishly. You're cut off from the land of the living. In this, you may have material goods, but there's not much fulfillment in a life when the whole world looks at you with one raised eyebrow and always keeps you at arm's length. What fun is that, you see? So, of course, if you've suffered with your reputation, you can rebuild it through good deeds and consistent um, good behavior, right? But Paul's saying when you serve well publicly, people, your wife, your kids, the church, they look up to you with admiration, your husband as well, if you are uh, a woman serving well. Now, your name is mentioned and people's faces light up. Wherever you go, a good reputation also saves you, rescues you from slander and criticism, right? So he's saying, boy, you can't buy the value of having served well and having everybody around you know, man, God will put you in a place of opportunity and influence. And uh, that's the second reward, is, is that you will have a great assurance in your own faith. Now, this is awesome. He's saying, those who serve God well, their own conviction about their own salvation and their own faith in Jesus grows. The more you serve, listen, the more you're exposed to God working. So the, the servant is the one who gets to see answered prayers and is involved in how the Holy Spirit is working and moving. It's the servant, the one who's immersed in the workings, even the menial tasks. Let me sh- close with this wonderful illustration. John 2, 7 through 9. Okay, they're at Cana. Jesus, time to introduce his miraculous powers that attest to his claim as deity. They run out of wine, and he says to the deacons, diakonos, Jesus said to the deacons, servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out, take it to the master of the banquet. So they did so, and the master of the banquet tested the water that had been turned into wine. He didn't realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. That's the privilege and the honor and the reward of being a servant. Nobody in that room at the wedding's faith grew an inch. Nothing. They didn't grow closer to Jesus. They didn't become Christians that we know of. They, didn't, they weren't more convinced. Oh man, I found the way, the truth, and the life. Who did? Those who said, hey, I'm responsible for going to get the water. He went, hey, he said water. Get the water. Okay, huh? And they ran out and served. Okay, filled it up. Nobody knew, not even the master of the banquet knew. But the servants were all, ha, right? And the servants' faith grew. That's what this verse says. Let me close with a pastor, a friend of mine, Pastor Ross Ryman from The Rock. (laughs) He wrote in this bulletin, Sunday's bulletin, let me quote it. 
Serving is the secret to Christian maturity. For as we serve, we see in concrete ways how the Lord is at work in us and in others, how he is supplying grace and answering prayers and accomplishing things through us that we couldn't do without his touch. In short, it's the servant who gets more glimpses of God at work than anyone else, so it's no wonder that anyone interacting with the Holy Spirit day in and day out would be building a great sense of confidence in their faith. God assurance, serve well. Help out in the church, share the gospel, uh, serve your family, show hospitality, do something for God, and you'll find that as your serving increases, so too your assurance in him. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great love and the desire in our hearts to be like you, the servant of all. You've called us to it, you've modeled it for us, and you expect us to rise to the occasion by the power of the Holy Spirit. We can do nothing, but with God, all things are possible, and it is through Christ that we can do all things. So we thank you, Lord. We we pray that you change our hearts and help us every day to get out of bed and want to do uh, as a servant should by putting the needs of others before our own. In Christ's name, amen. Let's stand. Closing song. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvertherock.org.